0: Today's classic foot and ankle article is called Second Metatarsophalangeal Joint Pathology in Freiburg Disease, published in 2013 in the Clinics in Podiatric Medicine and Surgery Journal, written by Amber Shane, DPM, Christopher Reeves, DPM, Garrett Waps, DPM, and Paul Thurston, DPM. Starting off with an anatomy review, the lesser MTPJs are crossed dorsally by two extensor tendons, the longus and brevis. The extensor digitorum brevis joins the longus on the fibular side of the digit and blends with the longest across the MTPJ. The tendons act to dorsiflex the digit during the swing phase of gait and stabilize the digits during propulsion. The sheath of the extensor tendon blends with the capsule of the MTPJ, which subsequently attaches to the plantar structures, including the plantar plate and deep transverse ligament. A unique aspect of the second MTPJ is that it has two dorsal interossei muscles crossing the joint. The remaining lesser digits have both planar and dorsal interosseous muscles, and the interossei muscles serve to stabilize the MTPJ in the transverse plane. Also unique to the second MTPJ is that the long flexor sits directly below the head of the metatarsal rather than a slightly offset medial position, as noted on the other lesser rays. This is thought to be a contributing factor to the painful synovitis often associated with pathology of the second MTPJ. Now in regards to the pathology, pain while ambulating to the planar aspect of the second MTPJ is a common occurrence, and typical associated conditions include the hallux valgus deformity coupled with a hypermobile first ray. Which creates an overloading syndrome to the second metatarsal head during propulsion. A pronated foot type overloading the medial column structures may also lead to second MTPJ dysfunction. Ankle equinus must be evaluated, as a tight heel cord has been shown to increase forefoot pressures, which can play a role in the development of second MTPJ symptoms. Numerous etiologies have been described in the literature, including trauma, predislocation syndrome, Overuse injury, stress fracture, avascular necrosis, capsulitis, synovitis, and systemic and isolated inflammatory conditions. Perhaps the most common of these conditions includes predislocation syndrome and avascular necrosis of the metatarsal head. So, a little bit about predislocation syndrome. Predislocation syndrome was formally introduced by you and Judge in 1995 and again in their hallmark study in 2002. However, with regard to pathology about the second MTPJ, numerous terms have been used to describe similar conditions concerning derangement of the joint. Miller published an extensive list of the terms that have been used to describe the condition. These include the following. Submetatarsal 2 syndrome, chronic lesser MTPJ dislocation, floating toe syndrome, lesser MTPJ instability syndrome, second MTPJ dislocation, crossover second toe deformity, and monoarticular non-traumatic synovitis. Pre-dislocation syndrome is most common in the second MTPJ. It has been described as a continuum of pathologic entities progressing from acute capsulitis to subacute plantar plate rupture and chronic dislocation of the joint. The condition is progressive, with each stage Weakening anatomic structures about the MTPJ, producing the next clinical signs and symptoms. Etiology of predislocation syndrome. There have been many suggested causes of predislocation syndrome. These include hallux valgus deformity, hypermobile first ray, abnormal metatarsal parabola, traumatic neuromuscular, anomalous muscle, and other anatomic abnormalities, and also congenital causes, of course. Each of these causes hold merit on the development of the deformity, however, congenital predilection combined with the aging process, female gender, and chronic ill-fitting shoe gear may be the most likely causes. Once again, each of these hold merit, however, congenital predilection combined with aging process, female gender, and chronic ill-fitting shoe gear may be the most likely causes. You and colleagues postulated that the common anatomic and biomechanical variants were the fundamental causes of the syndrome. They postulated that the long second metatarsal or pronated foot type created an increased plantar pressure to the second MTPJ. Kaz and Coughlin, radiographically radiographically examined 169 consecutive patients diagnosed with pre-dislocation syndrome and found no statistical correlation between second metatarsal length, hallux, hallux valgus angle, miri angle, or intermetatarsal angle, dispelling the notion that common structure abnormalities are the root cause of the deformity. Several investigators suggest that Use of high-heeled shoes and tight toe box increasing the forefoot pressure may predispose individuals to lesser metatarsalgia. Also, as mentioned previously, women seem to have this issue more commonly. This is likely because of the aforementioned high-fashion shoe gear that tends to be associated with the syndrome. Age is another factor that appears to be associated with the condition. In the series by Kazan Coughlin, of 169 patients radiographically examined, 146 of these 169 patients were women. This is similar to other reports in which most subjects are women ranging from 70 to 100 percent. Now on to clinical presentation of predislocation syndrome. Predislocation syndrome typically begins as a subtle vague complaint of pain and inflammation of the plantar aspect of the second MTPJ while the patient is ambulating. You and Judge described a pain-out-of-proportion scenario with respect to the initial clinical presentation. Early in the clinical presentation, no deformity, crepitus, or malalignment is noted. There may be a subtle deviation noted between the second and third metatarsals, leading to the improper diagnosis of inner metatarsal neuroma of the second inner space. However, this condition rarely elicits complaints of numbness, burning, or sharpshooting pain into the adjacent digits. Typically, the patient will complain that it feels as if the digit is trying to dislocate or go out of position. The second digit loses purchase with the ground, and a positive vertical stress test is noted. And just as a review, in regards to the vertical stress test, also known as the Lachman test, instability of the second MTPJ is defined as a 5mm translation of the joint. Pain is also typically reproducible during this test. Radiographs echo the clinical presentation displaying medial and dorsal deviation of the second MTPJ. You and Judge in 2002 created staging of predislocation syndrome. There are three stages found in predislocation syndrome. In each stage, there's a clinical presentation and a radiographic presentation. So in stage one, the clinical presentation is subtle. Mild edema, plantar thickness, pain out of proportion, no malalignment, and pain at the end of range of motion. In regards to the radiographic presentation of stage 1, there is no change. Stage 2, clinical presentation, now they have loss of toe purchase, notable deviation of the digit, increased edema about joint. In regards to stage 2, radiographic presentation, there's deviation of the digit. And subluxation is also seen. Stage 3 of predislocation syndrome, clinical presentation, there's pronounced edema extending into the skin. There's a crossover digit in regards to the radiographic presentation. There's dorsal dislocation and severe deviation of the digit. So once again, stage 1 radiographically, there's no change. Stage two, there's deviation of the digit and subluxation may be seen. In stage three, there's dorsal dislocation with severe deviation of the digit. Now, on to conservative treatment for pre dislocation syndrome. The multimodal approach seems to have the most benefit with a combination of pharmacologic and splintage treatments. Initially, shoe gear modifications include wide toe box, reduction of heel height, and rocker bottom type soles. Oral anti-inflammatory medications, including corticosteroids and NSAIDs, are a mainstay treatment for managing this disorder. Pharmacologic treatment in combination with plantar flexory toe taping and metatarsal pads or even toe splints may offload and stabilize this joint. Intraarticular corticosteroid injections, of course, are also an option. However, the use of intraarticular steroid injections for predislocation syndrome is controversial, with many investigators advising against this practice. The adverse effects of periarticular steroid injections has been noted in the literature, namely the weakening of the stabilizing soft tissue structures about the joint. Rice and colleagues were the first to report frank dislocation of the second MTPJ after local steroid injection into this area for treatment of stage 1 Pre dislocation syndrome. Now on to surgical treatment. Typically, the focus of surgical treatment consists of soft tissue releases and tendon transfers to realign the deranged joint. Tendon trans- transfers, such as extensor digitorum brevis rerouting, first described by Haddad and colleagues, noted satisfactory results in 68% of subjects. They rerouted the EDB inferior to the deep transverse intermetatarsal ligament. To reduce a dorsal dislocated joint, Barca and Acario reported a technique using a girdle stone Taylor-type tendon transfer with medial capsular re- release, with 83% of subjects reporting good to excellent results at follow-up. The addition of a distal metatarsal osteotomy, sometimes called a while, improved these outcomes with decompression of the affected joint and ease of realignment. Recently, the focus of disease has been on the repair of the fundamental deforming factor, the plantar plate, and realignment of the deranged joint. Early reports highlighted a separate plantar approach for primary repair of the plantar plate, with or without adjunctive osteotomy and soft tissue procedures. Paulus and Ells looked at 58 patients with diagnosed pre-dislocation syndrome and underwent a primary repair using a plantar approach, with 56 patients reporting symptom relief. Although this series reported good results with the technique, plantar incisions, particularly about the weight-bearing areas on the foot, are frequently noted with complications. A newer technique described by Weill and colleagues, and again by Coughlin and colleagues, outlined a dorsal approach, combining soft tissue release, distal metatarsal osteotomy, and primary repair of the plantar plate. While and colleagues examined 15 cases with an average follow-up of 22 months, 77% of the patients had satisfactory results. Greg and colleagues performed a similar case series of 35 cases with similar good to excellent results. Although many surgical treatments have been reported, the evidence appears to be in favor of a combination of tissue balancing, repair, and decompression of osteotomy for a lasting treatment of this complex deformity. The last half of this article is about Freiberg's disease, but I'm going to save that for the next podcast.